Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by The Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are looking forward, as always, today to visiting with you about things that interest you in the lawn and the garden and the landscape. Uh, if you would, write down our phone number so you can give us a call. It's 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And uh, we would love to hear from you. We would love to talk about if you got questions about plants or plant identification. By the way, with the email, you can always attach photos to your email, which helps with diagnosing problems, identifying plants or, or uh, insects or something else. Uh, make sure you attach the photos rather than embed them in the email. Uh, and please check and make sure they're good and well-focused, they're crisp-focused, uh, so that we can zoom in and identify things. That really helps a lot. Well, let's see, we're, we're now in the big uh, entry to the cool season. Uh, we I certainly haven't gotten cold around here, but uh, we, we do know that winter is coming, uh, all three days of it. Uh, in the Bryan College Station area, <laughs> uh, but uh, we um, this makes it more pleasant to be out and working in the fall. Uh, boy, I was out in the garden the other day and just really enjoying the um, the weather, the sunshine, and and moderate temperatures that we're having. This is a time when there's a lot to be doing out in the fall. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, the leaves are starting to turn and come off the trees. Uh, so you want to keep those leaves raked up off the lawn because our southern turf grasses like Bermuda grass, St. Augustine grass, zoysia grass, uh, they capture sunlight when the, the weather is um, is moderate. And especially with St. Augustine, it, it almost stays partially green in the winter. Uh, when you've got a few months where you can gather some energy for a grass that's been in a little more shade than it wants to be in, uh, that's really important. Because uh, as those trees drop their leaves, there is a, a little chance for it to get a little bit of sunlight. And those those grasses generally, or especially St. Augustine, don't go truly dormant. Uh, they they just slow grow. St. Augustine slows its growth uh, because of the temperature. And I, I suspect with some grasses, perhaps day length has a an effect. I don't know. Someone, a turf specialist, would have to to uh, cue me in on that. But um, it it is important to keep them keep them mowed and. 
This is the season. Uh, our cool season weeds have already germinated. I suspect there may be some more germination to come, but in general, they're there, and you may not notice them. But, and they sit there kind of like a blue bonnet. Germinates in the fall, sits there all winter as a small little plant, and then with the warming temperatures and, and changing day length, it takes off growing, makes a big plant, and blooms and sets seeds and starts its cycle again the next year. That's true of our cool season weeds, clover, henbet, chickweed, um, uh, carpet weed would be another example. Uh, those all are following that same cycle. So the more we do to create a dense lawn over the course of a growing season, uh, when that fall season comes and the cool season weeds would germinate, there just isn't enough sunlight hitting the soil to sustain a plant trying to or a seed trying to germinate and establish as a plant. And uh, so that's our goal. Our number one goal in weed control for the lawn is to grow a dense, healthy lawn. Uh, the best three weed control products are called mow, water, and fertilize. When you <laughs> mow, water, and fertilize, you are making your lawn uh, not weed-free, but you are reducing huge percentage of the weeds you'll have. There are a few weeds that survive in St. Augustine just fine. But in general, a lot of our problems uh, are brought on by thin uh, lawn and wherever sunlight hits the soil, nature plants a weed. So that, that's, uh, of course, it's now a little late to be making a dense, healthy turf because that turf isn't going to fill in anymore at this point. Uh, sometimes people will top dress their lawn with a very fine textured compost, not chunky stuff, but stuff that'll slide on down to the surface. Uh, that can provide a little bit in the way of nutrients slowly over time. I wouldn't consider it in and of itself a fertilization in most cases, but it also covers the soil surface a little bit. And uh, while it won't, you know, completely smother all weed seeds, it at least helps a little bit with that uh, effort to minimize the sunlight hitting the soil. So uh, that's not a bad practice. It's not something I suggest everybody do every year, uh, but that's not a bad practice uh, either. Uh, so uh, in the springtime, when we hit about February, about late February, the weeds that are warm season start to germinate. So that would be another time if you wanted to, to do a little top dressing and you, you uh, uh, you know, had some fine compost you could put a little bit on at that time, or let's say put it on in late February, or early February, I'm sorry, uh, so that as the temperatures warm up, that those seeds, when they try to germinate, they, they don't have a good chance of establishing. So anyway, that's, that's some things to think about in the lawn. Brown patch is appearing all over the place. In fact, we had an email. Uh, Phil uh, sent us an email uh, with St. Augustine, uh, talking about St. Augustine lawn and a, and a growing circle of damage. And, and that's descriptive of the brown patch, or excuse me, I'm, I'm still stuck in the, the old name. A large patch is what we call it now. Uh, you may have heard of brown patch. Now what we typically see in our yards is, is technically a large patch. Uh, but those circles appear when it gets cooler and we get some rainfall typically. Uh, if you water a lot, you can make it a little worse by keeping it moist. If you fertilize a lot, that seems to predispose it a little bit also. Plus, it makes the brown circles show up so much better in a nice deep green lawn. Uh, and so uh, I would not recommend over fertilizing and I wouldn't recommend over watering, we never do. Uh, but when you see those circles start to appear, just know that there is no fungicide that turns dead grass blades green again. Uh, 
And so you can use a fungicide, the earlier the better, uh, to stop or prevent, uh, to prevent the disease or to stop it early on before the circles get so large. but uh, those fungicides have to be used. Uh, I just like to think of it, use them preventively. Uh, they're not curative. And so once you get the big brown circles, now the grass uh, runners are still alive and they'll, they'll put out new leaves when it warms up again. And if we have some warm periods in winter, you may get a little regreening, especially in the center of those circles, uh, or if it happens early enough in the fall. But in general, when you got the circles, you got a brown spot. And so that's just something you, you have to live with then uh, over the course of the winter time. So if you, if you start to see those, and, and they started happening, we talked about them on the show at least a couple of weeks ago. They were happening uh, well back into early October. We started to see that. Uh, but that, that's the other thing going on in the lawns right now. Sometimes people call and ask about overseeding the lawn. Uh, you may have seen professional properties where in the wintertime there's a little fine textured grass that's growing. Uh, that typically is going to be a rye grass, often a mix of perennial and annual rye, but it can be various things. And they're, they're seeded into the lawn uh, in the fall so that they come up and you have a green lawn all winter. The the benefit is is basically a short list. You have a green lawn all winter. Uh, the negatives are you get to mow your lawn uh, when you normally would have your lawnmower put up, uh, and that you may need to do a little care of that lawn depending on what the weather does. Like uh, typically we don't have to water much in the winter, but if you've got a growing cool season grass like that, uh, you you may have to add a little bit of water here and there. Uh, but the big negative is is that you basically have spread weeds solid throughout your lawn because those ryegrass plants are a weed to the St. Augustine and or the Bermuda grass that you might have, or zoysia. And so when you, when you do that, you, you then now have a competitor. And so in spring, that overseeded grass is going to be actively growing at about the time your St. Augustine, for example, is trying to wake up and start growing. Uh, and it's the, the weed, uh, the overseeded uh, grass is shading somewhat the St. Augustine, uh, and it's competing for water and nutrients. And so uh, there's a stress period. And, and uh, a lot of times uh, commercial properties that are, that are Bermuda grass, um, they you know, if you overseed and overseed every year, you, you can kind of weaken that uh, Bermuda grass in the process. And, and so there's the trade-off. I don't recommend it in general. I understand the aesthetic reason for doing it. And we can, if you want to do it, we can tell you how much to put out and what to buy and, and when to put it out. That's important also, but uh, it's not a practice that I normally recommend. Well, let's see, this is a monologue and we need to talk to you. So give us a call at 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Let's go back uh, to the email. Uh, we had an email come in from uh, Tina. And uh, I tell you what, I'm going to hold off on that one and, and do another one first. We had an email from Terry. Uh, Terry has 
uh, some thinning turf. It looked great in early summer, uh, but now it's just brown areas and there's there's weeds coming up through it. And uh, Terry sent some photos and uh, I've uh, Terry, I replied for a request for a sample. Uh, this is uh, in the photos. I can see some nuts edge and dichondra and oxalis and things, but there's some weeds I can't see that a sample would help. And if you ever have a dead or sick plant uh, or an insect that needs identification, uh, you can or a plant that needs identification, you can put it in a, a plastic bag, seal it up. I usually for turf samples recommend a, a zip closure bag, a gallon size zip closure bag, and you want to get a sample that's representative of the problem. So, uh, you know, of course, if it's an insect, there's the, any insect that's that type is fine. But for a turf sample, we want to go to the area between healthy and dead. And uh, so we, if you bring just perfectly healthy grass, well, there, there's nothing wrong with it, so it's hard to diagnose it. Uh, if you bring me dead grass, we can't do autopsies in, in, at the extension office. And so what we need is that zone between healthy and dead. And about a 4x4 four four or 4x6 four inch little plug of soil, uh, you know, some roots on it, but I don't need, you know, 3 inches of soil attached to it. Uh, we we'll just just kind of shake a little of the extra soil off. Uh, carefully, but uh, put your name, phone number, and email on it so that when I'm able to get back to it uh, and look at it, I know who to contact. And the email is always helpful because sometimes we can send, and often we will send a little publication that addresses the issue that we diagnose on, on your sample. Uh, drop it off at the County AgriLife Extension Office, and our new office is out by the County Tax Office. Those of you who've been to the County Tax Office to pay taxes, uh, or maybe to uh, do something with your uh, driver's license. Well, we're out right back, back by that. And then the address is 4153 County Park Court. 4153 County Park Court. And I always say listen to this show with your with a pen handy because we give a lot of phone numbers and addresses and things from time to time. You can drop it off there during our regular, regular business hours of 8 to 5. Uh, and we'll be happy to take a look at it. There are some samples we will not be able to diagnose, and, and there we will refer you to the uh, State Plant Clinic, uh, which is on West Campus. Uh, you can go online, plantclinic.tamu.edu. Plantclinic, one word, .tamu.edu. And they can certainly, they uh, do charge a fee. They have a lot of very expensive equipment, and they're able to take diagnostics way beyond what I can do with a little microscope in, a, in my eyes. Uh, and so uh, there are many times where we will send people that way. But if we can handle it locally and simply we prefer, uh, we like to do that. We're certainly happy to help you in that way. Uh, so the sample is is probably the most important thing. If you've got some weeds, uh, pull them up and, and put them in a bag separately so we can take a look at those. And it does help to see all the weeds that you're dealing with, all the types of weeds. Uh, because weed control, it, it's, it's a little bit uh, complex when you start considering the fact that we have annual weeds and we have perennial weeds. We have weeds that are cool season and we have weeds that are warm season. We have products that prevent the weed seeds from getting established and products that kill already established weeds. So no lawn just has one type of weed. At least I haven't run across one yet. Uh, and so uh, getting all that information in the mix helps give you a better answer on how, how and when uh, to deal with it. But having said all that, uh, my first recommendation is never spray this, spray that. 
it's always mow, water, and fertilize right. And then when you can't overcome it with that, you can then uh, spray the weeds. And you've heard me on here before quote uh, uh, Felder Rushing, fellow horticulturist over in the Mississippi area. And he says, if you want to make all your weeds go away instantly, take off your glasses. So I like that. Sometimes we worry a little bit too much about the perfect lawn, but that's your business. Uh, if you want it perfect, we can help, help aim for that at least. But I think we need, probably need to relax a little bit and recognize that weeds are also green. So let's see, our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu. Edu. Now, I said men, or mentioned earlier we had an email from Tina, uh, and Tina has kind of th thrown me a curve on her, her question. Um, Tina's got soggy conditions around an electrical box out front, and she showed me a picture of it, and oh my gosh, are they ever. Uh, you dig down about three inches, and there's a water table standing there. Uh, and uh, she would like something that could be planted around the box that would help uh, hide the box. Um, and so the, the, here's the challenge. We need a plant that can grow in full sun. We need a plant that can grow in very wet conditions. And we need a plant that's evergreen because you don't want to see the box in the winter, right? Uh, or that is not a perennial that dies back to the ground. And that combination is, has kind of sent me back to the drawing board of trying to figure out, well, what would be some good examples? I can't tell the exact height of that box. It looks to me like it's, a, you know, maybe 16 inches high or something along those lines. So we don't need something really tall. Uh, there's there's a few options. We, there are shrubs that will grow in wet conditions. Uh, our southern wax myrtle, uh, which gets to be very large, but there is a... a a type they call dwarf southern wax myrtle. It's not truly dwarf, uh, like a dwarf yopon is dwarf, but but it, it can be kept smaller. That could be planted around it, but the concern is eventually they got to get to that box. And so if you've got a shrub engulfing it, they're not going to be able to get to it to do work on it. So that would be uh, a little bit of a concern uh, that I would have with putting a shrub there. Uh, we do have a few things that are evergreen, uh, that you can plant, like a, there's a tall type of liriope. Uh, it gets, oh, by knee high or so. Uh, that could be planted there. It's not fond of soggy, wet conditions, though, but it'll grow there. Uh, but I'm going to have to think about this, Tina, a little bit more. Maybe we have a, someone listening that has a suggestion for that area as well. But I tell you what, my first... The first thing I would like to, to know is, is there a water leak? I know the, that uh, sometimes you get a lot of water from the neighbors and, and things, but that is, a, that is such a soggy condition, and we have not had that kind of rain recently, uh, that I'm thinking there is a water line that is leaking somewhere, and somebody's spending money on that water. Uh, so I would first investigate that. That would be the simplest solution then our options for screening it are, are uh, much simpler. Uh, but I'll keep thinking about that one. But you got me, you got me on that one, Tina. That, that's a little bit of a, a combination of, of requirements for plants that creates a little bit of a challenge. Uh, let's see. We had an email come in. Uh, okay. There we go. Uh, question about um, vegetables. 
what are what are vegetables to plant at this time of the year? Well, uh, we are now way past our warm season crops, and so we're planting cool season crops. Uh, things like leafy greens, that would include lettuce and spinach and arugula, for example. Uh, things that have the bluish green leaves that are cruciferous or coal crops. That would be broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, um, uh, let's see, collards and kale. Um, so th those are all still, uh, you can plant those now. If you're able to cover your vegetables when we have that really cold weather, you might be able to get away with a few other things. Radishes do pretty good in cold weather, uh, and turnips do pretty good in cold weather. Beets, beets are like Swiss chard, and a, a freeze will, will get them, but if, or get the tops. But if you can cover them, you might get away with, with some beet planting at this time. And then uh, carrots uh, love this kind of weather. This is one of their favorite times to, to be germinating and growing. Uh, and so you might want to want to try that. And I may have left out a few. I think I covered most of the ones at least. Uh, but those can all be planted now. All, all those need lots of sun. If you want success with vegetables, uh, aim for full sun. If you have less than ideal, let's say you have less than um, six hours of sun, then I would go with the leafy greens. The, not things that produce roots or fruit, but things that you're growing for their leaf, to eat their leaves. Uh, they are tolerant of less sun than the root crops and fruiting crops are. Well, let's uh, take a break and go to the phones. Our number, 845-5689. And let's talk to Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Skip. I have two questions for you today. Okay. Uh, number one, a friend just gave me some coral vine seeds. Okay. And I'm not sure what I should do with them. When should I plant them? Um, do I put them in pots over the winter or just seed them in the ground now? Do, do you know what the plant looks like that the seeds came from? Does your friend have one? Uh, I believe it came from uh, Martha's Vineyard. Okay. Well, from I'm, one of their uh, trellises, I think. Okay. I'm going to go with what is most often called coral vine, and that is a, a, a sweet potato-like plant. It has tuber underground, and it's a perennial. It dies to the ground, and then it comes back and, and during the warm season and grows through the season and does most of its blooming in the late summer and fall uh, with little clusters of pink blooms that hang down like clusters of grapes. Uh, so I've never known anybody to plant that by seed. Normally, it's divisions from underground and things. But I would say on, on that, it's not a plant that takes cold. So you might start the seeds indoors, maybe in January. Uh, you need a good, good bright light for any seed starting indoors, a light that's suitable for plants. Putting them by a window is, is iffy. Uh, you can do it, but it's, it's not the best. Uh, and get them up and growing before you plant them out, or just wait for it to warm up a little bit and then plant them outside also. Now, oh. you could also be talking about coral honeysuckle, or there, there's some other coral-type type plants like that. Uh, do you think this is deer-resistant? 
offhand? You know, I don't offhand know what deer think about it, but I know deer eat a lot of things. And if, <laughs> right. and I, I also know this, deer listen to this show. And if I were to say it's resistant, they're going to laugh and they're going to go all over town eating it to the ground to prove me wrong. And they've done that before. No, seriously, uh, I wouldn't expect it to be, but that would be one we'd have to check into. To know for the sure. deer have eaten my aspidistra again this year for really? the second time in a year. Okay. They've just about mowed it down. <laughs> my goodness. Well, um, yeah. So that's... I think that I'm going to cut it. I mean, you know, there's some little shreds around, but I think I'm just going to cut it back almost to the ground and hope it comes back and try to keep the deer away. Uh, well... You know, it aspidistra is tough, and it can do that. In fact, the way I manage my aspidistra is at the end of winter, I cut it off at the ground, and at the um, at the uh, end of summer, I cut it off at the ground as well, uh, and it just comes right back. That, you know how aspidistra, the leaves can get to looking really ragged uh, right. by the end of the year, uh, and so deer mowing it down is no different than what I do to it. So um, I would. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, you can you can block them out of the area for small plants that are going to get larger, but with aspidistra, it's always going to be that size, and they're always going to come in. Uh, so uh, what part of the county do you live in where you have all the, or are you here in this county? Uh, yes, in uh, South Brazos County. South Brazos, South okay. Of town. So you got some woods not too far away. Yes, oh yes, okay. trees all around us. Well, um, so you know you can eat deer. Yeah, I know, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I bet that'll make the, the phone ring. Should I cut them now, or shall I wait until like January, I'd February? Wait, I'd wait until January, unless they're just so so hideous you can't look at them. But I would I would wait because winter is going to do some damage too. It gets them right. Ragged. They're evergreen, but if we get a good cold spell, you know they can kind of get to looking bad. Uh, but if you again, if this was a show place and you get, you you can cut them, you can cut them down now and cut them again. Okay. Well, my second question was that I want to uh, plant a climbing rose in the spring. I was looking at that Peggy Martin that you uh, recommended, but it's too early to plant that now, isn't it? You know, it's actually not. Uh, historically, we've thought of February. We always say plant your roses and prune your roses on Valentine's Day, and, and that's fine. But, but a lot of that is, is roses that are bare root, and you want to plant them when... The plants are dormant. In fact, I, I wouldn't wait till Valentine's Day. I'd do them a little late winter, a little earlier than that. But when you're talking about a container-grown plant, that's one that literally was grown in the container, not a containerized plant, mm-hmm. which is a bare root plant stuck in a container, and then they throw soil around it. Uh, you know, that's different. That's essentially still a bare root plant. But a container-grown plant can be planted Technically, it can be planted any month of the year, but fall is a great time because roses, they don't just, you know, wimp out when it gets a little cool. They'll, they'll keep going into some cool weather, and you'll have a better plant next year as a result. Do you think I'm going to find them in town here, or will I have to go to the Antique Rose Emporium or uh, maybe well, um, co-op? Yeah, you might try, yeah. that They might have it uh, over at Producers. Uh-huh. The, the um I'm just trying to think of where I've seen it in town, and I, I just can't think of a place I've seen it. Uh, I'm sure the Rose Emporium would have it. I know that uh, Arborgate out in Tomball carries them, and uh, they, they have a wide variety of things out there, but they definitely have that one out there as well. So, um, 
yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't quite know where you might find them. Okay, well, I'll start looking now. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks very much for your right. help. I, I I hope it, it it helps out. And so I don't know what else to tell you about those deer, though. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy them. I enjoy them. But okay. <laughs> but okay. Thanks very much, Skip. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Bye. Okay. The phone number eight four five five six eight nine. Now let's talk to David. Hello, David. Hey, Skip. Uh, just a little follow up with your last uh, caller. Yes. Uh, my wife and I bike ride around the uh, leech gardens out, out at A&M, and I know you're very familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a little fenced area, a little fenced place that had some uh, okra plants and a plum tree or whatever anyway, and then the coral vine was growing around that. Yes. Uh, very pretty, and I thought, well, that's, that's cool looking. And so I decided to steal some seeds from there. Mm-hmm. And did exactly. You what you didn't. Excuse me. Let me about. let me correct. You didn't steal them. You liberated them. Stealing oh, I liberated is, them. Okay. stealing is okay. against the law. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, well, you only have my first name. You don't have my last name. So I guess I'm pretty safe. <laughs> we're tracing uh, the call right now. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, there were lots of them going away. So, so I did take some seeds, and and uh, I, I can't remember if I soaked them or not, but I did <clears throat> plant them, and I thought, well, I'm just going to do it in a something in a pot or whatever and uh, and they didn't all sprout but several of them did and and that was all done about this time last year and i have uh coral vines that have pretty pink blooms not not uh, a huge thing yet because obviously it just came up from seed and hopefully you know i'll have the uh the tuber or whatever next year mm-hmm. uh, it'll expand but, but yeah I, I went all the way from the sprouting to having the pink blooms I, for a while i thought i wasn't going to get the pink blooms because the, they, they were blooming at, at the garden yeah way before mine bloomed but but uh finally it started blooming and and and, and they're really pretty and, and the, the blooms last for a long time so i highly recommend it it's you know the one i'm talking about it's yes. pink and uh yes. so I just thought I'd pass that along that it worked for me. Well, that's good. You're saying you got blooms a year after, within a year of seeding. Planted them, planted them last fall in in a pot, and then put them out uh, once uh, you know once the frost period was over with. So wow. I, they plant. I actually put them in the ground last spring, and uh, and they were yes uh, growing vines and actually put on blooms. Uh, Within within the year. So, wow. Well, uh, I'm sh- if Elizabeth is listening, there you go. I, I'm impressed. I, I did. I would have not thought that that perennial would would from a seedling uh, bloom, bloom the first year. But that's great. That it's yeah. a good vine and it it's a good pollinator plant. Uh, I was out at the gardens that, where you're talking about this year, mm-hmm. and boy, late in the season when they were blooming, oh, it yeah. was just. I couldn't even name all of the pollinator, you know, bees and and plants like that that were that were buzzing those things. Uh, it, it's a good plant for that. But I, but I I do say that one word of warning is once you get a good robust uh, plant and it's got good storage underground and everything, mm-hmm. uh, it can run. You know, like a toddler on the first grade of school. You know, it's a it is a uh, <laughs> I've seen it go all the way up a windmill. 
uh, and I've seen it go about 50 feet down a fence too. So I've seen it leave well, leave a chain link fence and jump on a high wire and head down the high wire. So, oh, really? Yeah, just be careful because if it can reach it, it's going to run. <laughs> well, that'll that'll be good news for her too. That the, the deer uh, will have plenty to eat. But uh, <laughs> but no, it's uh, it, it's it, I, I planted on a chain link fence where where there's nothing else around, so it can it can run 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 without any concern for a while at least. So uh, okay, yeah, I would I, I I appreciate that. But uh, but anyway, that's just thought I'd pass that along. Cause it is a I, when I when I uh, saw it blooming out there, I thought, man, that's that's impressive looking, and I really didn't know much about it. And I used one of these phone apps to take a picture of it to get to. Because mm-hmm. I thought, eh, I wonder if that's coral vine. I thought somewhere for some reason I thought it might be, and then sure enough, the little phone app confirmed that. And yeah. so, so there you go. It works from seed. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate that, uh, David. Sure. That's that's good to know. Any other? things you called about or, or well not not really other than to say that i am producing uh, pole, pole green beans but but i will just say that despite all the comments about gardening warm warm vegetables uh, warm season vegetables in the fall <clears throat> uh man it was a challenge to get them going yeah. because they all sprouted beautifully but then despite shading and all man they were suffering in the heat and so, you know, you're trying to get them early, you know, August, and then they're just out there just looking like right. you know, ter- terrible. And then finally things cool off they start going. And I'm actually getting beans, but I have maybe uh, uh, less than half as many plants as I would normally have because mm-hmm. some of them I just got tired of trying to replant right. because they would sprout and die. So that's, that's, that's a real battle. It is, <laughs> and we have to go for fast maturing things. And, yeah, you know, you, know we, we've got... Yeah, pole's not really recommended, I know, but I love pole beans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, you, you're doing everything you can do to try to get the most out of them. There is a variety uh, called Northeaster or Nor'easter and one called, uh, what's the other one, that is pretty fast compared to other pole beans like Kentucky Wonder Pole. Yes, or, Kentucky Wonder is what I plant. Yeah, so you might, you might aim for, if you can find something close to 50 days, that that will do well and i believe there's a pole bean that might come close to that well good luck with them (laughs) okay well thanks and uh, enjoy the show thank you for the call uh let's go back to the phones and talk to Lori. hello Lori. hello how are you i'm fine well one of the reasons i called was is earlier um i sometimes my listening is hit or miss but earlier um in the season uh you had talked about um, with tomato plants about taking an errant branch and burying it until it formed roots and then snipping it off from the mother plant and growing it. Yes. And I tried that, and I have no green thumb. But I'm looking at it right now, and it's as tall as our six-foot fence, and it has tomatoes the size of baseballs um, on it, and more flowers are budding out, and I don't know if oh. they're going to make it before the freeze or not, or frost, but yeah. if I cover that, um, I have a pretty good size um, cloth. If I cover that, um, how long should I let it go? You know, we hit a point where the weather is just generally so cool that the tomatoes are just sitting there. They're not really growing. And yeah. so while you can protect it and get it through a freeze, it, it's not worth it because after the freeze, it's not going to do anything, you know. Well, and I understood when the temperatures get like below, is it in the 50s, that they, they don't really yeah. do F- much. 50s at night, you're, you're gonna, they're going to quit setting. 
mm -hmm. when it's cool at night, real cool at night. Uh, and so what we generally do is just leave them as long as we can. And when it's coming to a frost, it's going to kill them. Just pick the tomatoes off of it. The, mm -hmm. the tomatoes start off green, of course, and then later turn the color yellow or, or red or orange, whatever they're going to be. Uh, but in between there, there's a green stage where they're mature and sitting on the counter, they'll ripen inside. And they're not bad tasting that way either. Uh, mm -hmm. But... Uh, there's a green that won't mature and there's a green that will. And uh, okay. so uh, one way, you, every way that you can tell involves destroying the tomato, like cutting through it. <laughs> if you cut it through it with a knife and it's very solid inside and your knife will even cut through the seeds, that's not going to make it. If uh -huh. it has more of that jelly around it, but it's still green and the seeds are hard and move aside when your knife blade goes by, that's a mature stage. Of course, mm -hmm. maybe you would use that to kind of get an idea what it looks like mm -hmm. because in the process you're, you're destroying that tomato to find out if it would have made it. Well, I've got some that are ripening right now um, on the vine. They're, they're, they're red, and I'm trying to decide whether I need to go put some netting around them. Mm -hmm. um, but they've been remarkably bug-free, Yeah, and it's been wonderful. So thanks again for that advice. Well, and I can't tell you how relieved I was, because when a call starts off with, hey, a while back you said, <laughs> I, 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 my, you know, I grip my pen and, and wait for the, oh my gosh, what did I say? <laughs> but I always I'm start with the good news. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's bad news? <laughs> well, no, actually okay. it was a question okay. um, that was related to gardening, because normally I do flowers they're a little um but i've discovered um uh, vegetable and we don't have we have just a standard college station lot so not a lot of room because of the way our house is oriented um in order to get the full sun that you need for mm -hmm. for success and so um what i've got right now besides those tomatoes is um uh, one broccoli plant and one cauliflower plant but what my children really like are, are believe it or not is spinach okay and, and chard and lettuce and mm -hmm. so when you were talking about planting now were you talking about seeds or transplants because i haven't had much luck finding spinach plants right I think right. I missed that window, and they all moved on to something, selling something else, because I'm finding lots of cabbage. Yeah, you will see them for sale, but I always go with seeds. Uh, when you buy a spinach transplant and you try to get enough of them to where you can feed the family, that gets kind of expensive. Well, and yes, so and, seeds and are I have a lot seed. cheaper. And I have seed. I was just worried that maybe I got busy. I had some things, other things going on, and I'd waited too late to plant it. But I can go ahead and put seed out. You can go ahead and put seed out of spinach now. And what I'd recommend you do is, is get some, some hot water from the tap. Not, you know, don't boil water in the stove, but hot water from the tap. And put the, put the seed you're going to plant the next day in a cup and, and fill it with that hot water. Mm -hmm. And it'll cool off quickly. Do this. I usually do it late day. Uh, early evening, and uh, by morning those seeds will have uh, have swollen up because they take in the the moisture which initiates the germination biochemical processes, and so you have a little bit of a head start because spinach has a hard seed coat and uh, it in cold conditions it doesn't soak up with the water as fast, so your germination will be a little bit delayed and also more erratic where one seed will come up and then little bit later another seed comes up and so that's just a way to kind of speed it up a little bit so warm water overnight do i need to rub them on sandpaper or anything 
Uh, no, absolutely no, no need to do that. Just, okay. just, just plant them. Uh, and and spinach is 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 fairly easy to grow, and you can also grow it in containers. And so, since your kids are involved, uh, you might even want to think about getting some containers out there if you've got a spot and letting them plant some, and let them let them grow some unusual types. Uh, there's uh, uh, several types that have giant leaves. I mean, you know, almost the size of a piece of printer paper. Not that not that wide, but definitely that long. And uh, that you could use them for a spinach wrap you know, for uh, healthy eating or you, then there's one type called red kitten and there's another red something that has uh, kind of a magenta veins on the leaves, real pretty in a salad. Uh, kids might kind of get interested in that. It's great that they're interested in eating it. Yeah, well, we, it was kind of by accident. We were given a, a Swiss chard plant mm -hmm. and, and that was not a plant I grew up with. I grew up with spinach mm -hmm. and leaf lettuce, but not Swiss chard. And so I cooked it like I do spinach, you know, wash it and, and kind of trim off the, the end. And we ate the whole plant. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and, and so um, it, fortunately that didn't kill it. I guess there was just enough of the baby leaves left that it got photosynthesis and was able to produce more. Okay. But, but um, so I said, okay, so I got some spinach seeds um, uh, it might have been in the spring, but I knew better than to plant them in the heat. Mm -hmm. And that I knew that that here you do it in cool weather. Yeah. But I missed. I, I mean, w I have one of those guides. A friend gave me one of the guides from from the extension. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it gives you a window, and I wasn't sure if that was a seed window, because sometimes it says you know only plant transplants. And so when you were talking about it today, I thought, well, is that plants? So seeds are plant plants, and so I'm relieved that I can do yeah. that because I also picked up some mustard seeds, and I've never grown that before, so I'm going to give that a go and see how we like that. I mean, I like it, but how the, it's got a stronger flavor that they may, you know, not like at first, but we'll see. Yeah, I think mustard may run them off, uh, but uh, you, you, don't, you never know. Maybe use uh, sparsely in, in something. Uh, you but. put bacon in it, and they'll eat it. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, you know, when, when people talk to me about vegetable recipes, I always listen for the words cheese and bacon. Uh, <laughs> I, I one time spoke to a group and uh, told them how I don't care for cauliflower because it's tasteless. And a lady jumped up and said, no, wait a minute. And she described using a Pyrex baking dish. You put a, a layer of cauliflower, you cover that with a layer of cheese and a layer of bacon, and then another layer of cauliflower and cheese and bacon and Parmesan cheese. And I said, lady, if I put cardboard in the dish and did all that to it, it would taste good. So, <laughs> Well, I've discovered if you, if you start with that and then you cut it back, it's kind of like reducing salt in your diet. Okay. That after a while, I mean, when we eat spinach... Now, I mean, the, the children, I think my my oldest puts a little salt on it, sprinkles a little salt on it. Okay. Um, but my youngest um, just eats it the way it is. Okay. So well, no butter, no salt, just spinach. Well, that's great. Well, there's a lot of other greens out there, and so you might introduce them to some other cool season. The cool season is the green season. Uh, and so you do have lettuce, of course, and then we've you can grow chard. Uh, you just need to protect it when it gets a hard freeze. Uh, but, okay. And okay. with chard, we have the varieties like Bright Lights that have many colors to the petioles. They're not just green and white. 
and so you could try some chard. Uh, you can get adventurous. Arugula is a very unusual flavor. They may not care for that, but that's another another green that we can grow in the cool season. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm I'm excited now. I'm going to go out and play in the dirt some All right. and uh, get those seeds started. But thank you. And thanks again for the tomatoes because we're, we're eagerly watching for them to finish. And if they don't, we'll, we'll cut them and take our chances of, with them ripening indoors. Well, you ought to pick a few right now, bring them in and watch the ones on the plant and, and see how fast the ones indoors ripen compared to the ones on the plant. I'd be kind of um, curious about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've got plenty. So, okay. so I'll do that. Thank you very much. All right, Lori. Thank you for the call. Goodbye. Our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And while uh, we were in other calls here, I pulled up a website uh, with uh, Texas uh, Texas AgriLife Extension uh, horticulturist down in uh, San Antonio for years ago, uh, and some of the Texas uh, or a nurseryman in San Antonio put together a list of deer-resistant plants. And any of you who have been, especially to North San Antonio, know that you can drive down the neighborhoods, uh, some of those neighborhoods up north of San Antonio, and the deer are laying in the yard as you drive by, and they don't even bat an eye. Uh, so that that tells you about deer problems. Uh, that, but they do list coral vine uh, as a deer-resistant vine. So that's that's the list. I hope no deer are listening. But um, the, so uh, Elizabeth, you and, and uh, David's comments as well. Uh, it looks like you can get away with coral vine in deer country. If you find out otherwise, please do let me know. But I, I trust this source, and so I suspect that's the truth. Let's see, we're going to talk about some other things to uh, be aware of this time of the year. Um, I've had a number of, of questions about trees that may be dying or what's wrong with this tree. And uh, we, we've been having tree questions at a higher rate than normal uh, ever since the February freeze. Uh, one of them was some elm trees that uh, they had leaves lower, but some of the outer branches were were brown. I've seen that on on uh, some live oaks around town and and other plants uh, that um, a red oak and some uh, the Chinese uh, pistache uh, trees and other things. Well, anyway, the the freeze not only kill things right away, but it, we also saw some latent damage where maybe plants came out okay, but because of damage to the tissue, it just sort of, when the demands went up, the weather's hotter and the demands went up, it, it, just, it just couldn't sustain. And so there's a little bit of that going on. Uh, but remember that we're at the time now when tree leaves are gonna be coming off anyway. And some trees, have really nice looking leaves right up until the point where they start to turn color, whatever that color is around here, typically tan and brown, uh, and fall off. Uh, but some things that are very hardy trees, like a cedar elm, uh, winged elm, you see those as you drive around, you know, the outskirts of town, just in the in the woods. Uh, they, by the end of the year, that leaf gets looking pretty ratty. Uh, there's been insects that are feeding on it. There have been uh, certain diseases that will affect it. You may see sometimes the tip is brown or the margins of the leaf, and that could be due to, uh, you know, a lack of water for a period of time. But, uh, but it's it just those leaves, 
they're old and they're about to go. And so we, we do see a lot of problems that if we had seen that look in the spring, we would have been concerned. But now it's just it's just part of the deal. Uh, it's it's uh, part of the the uh, annual system with that tree, and and um, uh, there are other trees that are that way too. So I often get calls on uh, live oak trees uh, in the spring when those leaves are about to be cast off. They fall. They got spots on them. Uh, this, this isn't uh, southern magnolia country really here, but uh, that's another one that casts its leaves in the spring with a new growth, and and they look horrible when they hit the ground sometimes, and it's just it's just part of what's normal. We don't have to worry about it. You know, when you take a tree like a um, cedar elm that has been living here for ages, naturally surviving with all the vicissitudes of weather of the Brazos Valley. Uh, that's a tree that it's going to survive, and you just don't need to worry about it. Uh, you, can go, you can go on to other things. But uh, we have had some questions about, about that and about trees. This is tree and shrub planting season. We are in a great time to be putting any woody ornamentals uh, that are cold hardy uh, in the ground. Uh, and so you want to dig a hole that's only as deep as the root ball of the of the plant. So I, I still say the word root ball uh, because in day you know years ago they used to ball and burlap trees. They still do, but that was a real common thing. Now we have a lot of container grown. That's the predominant. And so I should call it a root cylinder. So I'll try to do that. But uh, you don't want the hole to be deeper than the root cylinder. Because if you dig a deep hole and then throw dirt in the bottom to set the plant on, it will settle and that tree will end up deeper than it should be. So just dig it as deep as a root cylinder, set the plant in. You can make the hole, the, the general recommendation is two and a half times as wide as the root cylinder. Uh, and that's fine. You can dig it out and then you use that same soil to put it back in. I tend to dig mine just a little wider, uh, you know, not an inch but a little bit wider and and then uses a spading fork to go around the tree push it in the soil and kind of pull back on it and sort of cracks that soil loose and pushes it toward the root ball and then water well to settle it in uh, it's a little better to do the first way because you have fine textured soil all around the roots it eliminates air pockets but uh, especially in a looser sandy soil you can do the first uh, and it'll do just fine it does the same thing it loosens the soil so the roots can move outward uh, and, and and establish well. The the biggest thing, the two biggest things to remember when you're planting, especially a tree, because it's going to be there a long time and get very large, is number one, uh, prune the roots before you put it in the ground. They've grown in a container, a tree that would have roots, you know, 10 feet out in all directions is going to have all those roots wrapped up in a little 12 inch wide pot for example and uh, that they don't unwind underground and those circling roots get bigger as the trunk gets bigger and eventually those two come together and the trunk becomes a uh, strangling band or excuse me the root becomes a, tr a strangling band around the trunk so bite the bullet cut the roots now 
I promised you after you put it in the ground within three weeks, you're going to see fresh new roots coming out, maybe even faster depending on the temperatures. But uh, it, they, it will produce where there was one root, it'll produce two or three or more new roots coming out. They'll move out and establish very, very well. And you won't have that ticking tom, time bomb of a problem when you planted uh, a plant with a girdling root already in place. Uh, so that's one, cut the roots. Number two, and, and I, I cut the roots on shrubs too, and, and you can do it with pruners cutting the larger roots, uh, uh, but I just generally use like a box cutter knife, the blade's about an inch long, and just slice vertically from top to bottom uh, down the cylinder in three or four places around the sides, and that effectively cuts all those outer circling roots. Second thing is don't amend the planting hole. Uh, we think, well, why don't I put potting soil in it? Then those roots will just have heaven to grow in. Well, they, they will, but then they hit the sides of the hole and it's clay soil, and, and that doesn't do well. And uh, it's better to use the soil from the site. And here's why. Your goal isn't to make the tree happy for a week. It's to, it's to have a tree that's happy for the rest of its life. And if it's not adapted to the soil that you have, uh, no amending of the of the uh, hole before while planting is going to do any good at all uh, so it needs to be able to grow in that site so if it's not going to grow in that site then pick a different species that will uh, and that's that's really important for shrubs we have a smaller plant and um, in most cases and and so for you know moderate sized shrubs you could make a case for amending a large area a large bed of, of soil. Maybe you bring in a soil mix or maybe you mix in several inches of compost as deeply as you can throughout a large wide area that's going to be that planting bed for the shrubs and then you dig the hole and put the shrub in and use the same soil you dug out which is a blend back in the hole. That's fine. Uh, the, you can make a case for that but uh, not not just amending the hole. Uh, especially for the trees. But whatever you do, now's a great time to pick out trees and plant them, and shrubs, uh, and, and even roses, as we said earlier. Uh, plants that go in in the fall, uh, and I'll expand, expand that from trees and shrubs to perennials uh, that go in in the fall, have all winter to establish some roots and get settled in and that when it starts to warm up and growth begins, that plant is going to be ahead of something that you waited until spring to plant. And so that first critical summer that is so stressful on these plants as they try to establish a root system that matches their top, uh, that first summer is, is not as deadly uh, to a plant that was fall planted as it might be to one that was planted uh, in the spring or even, even later. So word to the wise, but we have a lot of great great shrubs and trees that we could be we could be enjoying and planting well uh, we've got time for another call uh, and so if you'd like to call 845-5689-845-5689 and I I do check the emails here uh, whenever we uh, whenever we're during in in the show uh, and then I have to head out and I don't see the emails again until the next Thursday when we come back to it um, but that that should be that should be probably uh, something that if you want to email, just realize that uh, I'm probably not going to answer them until the next the next show. Uh, so a question uh, from Ted came in by email about uh, any 
news about Mexican palms reviving after turning brown on the February freeze. Perhaps a, friend, a percentage that came back. There, there are a lot of, of different palm trees, and uh, the um, um, Mexican, um, gosh, the name is escaping me now, but uh, the uh, sable palm, Mexican sable palm, there we go, uh, did well coming through the freeze. I'm not saying none died, but a lot of them that I've seen have survived. Uh, and as you go around town, this was a year to figure out which palms you want to plant and which ones you don't. Uh, and those that are that are more hardy would be the better ones. And if you if you email me uh, at the AgriLife Extension Office or this show, we can send you a list of some of the ones that did a little bit better. Uh, there's a, a little bit of an effect on where the tree was located, uh, how the tree was cared for going into the freeze, of course. But in general, there's a lot of the species that got planted uh, did not survive well. And in general, this is just general, the palms with a palm-shaped leaf as opposed to a feather-shaped leaf, the palm-shaped leaves among our hardier palms are in that group. It doesn't mean if it has a palm-shaped leaf, it's hardy. It just means that's where the hardiest palms are in that, that type of palm. And the feather-shaped leaves in general uh, are not as hardy. And there's a couple of, there's a number of exceptions to that rule, but uh, that's just something else, uh, Ted, uh, to, keep, to keep in mind there. Uh, let's see, we have another question here. Going through some email questions. Um, uh, Sharon uh, had um, emailed uh, and asking about uh, some things. Sharon is listening from um, Fredericksburg. That's, I'm, I'm impressed. That, I didn't know folks were listening in Fredericksburg. So that's good to know we have listeners out there. Uh, you can listen, by the way, if you have friends that live, live around the area. Maybe they don't live in the, the um, uh, listening area of KAMU they can go online and listen to the show live online. And we have folks that do that. Uh, and you can also go back to the KMU website, K-A-M-U-F-M, and find the Garden Success page. And you can listen to our past shows that have been uploaded uh, there. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that there's a lot of ways to listen. And we encourage you to let other people know about the show. Uh, we're getting real close to the end here, but I just do want to mention that uh, if you if you do have uh, soils that you're going to be planting for next year, now's a good time to take some soil samples, get them to the lab, so you can find out what it needs, the nutrients and the compost and things, and then mix them in and be ready for your spring planting time. So this is a it's kind of a little bit of an off season for soils uh, at the la soil sampling, and so it's a good time to get a good quick answer on your results. When they come in, feel free to call me at the AgriLife Extension office and. We can discuss the results and what you might want to do. Uh, well, you've been listening to Garden Success, and we'll be back again next Thursday from 12 to 1. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. 
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.